0: And then later on, we, we contacted like um, people cold and that worked quite well, actually, because I think- Even like, before
1: you had any product or even an idea what you wanted to do. Yeah, yeah. How, um, how many people are we talking about here that you interviewed?
0: Wow, oh, I think we interviewed like 300, 400 people in the end. Um, yeah, so Before you much. officially
1: started with anything. Yeah, yeah, oh wow. Yeah.
2: Hi everyone, it's Lucas and Manuel from Start Munich and we're here with a really fresh Munich startup called Tacto we had a chat with their CEO, Andre. So what does TACTO actually do? Yeah, hi,
0: I'm, I'm Andre, I'm uh, one of the co-founders of TACTO. Um, so what we're doing is in the end, we run industrial procurement. So uh, if you imagine like a machine engineering company, about 50% of all parts in these machines that they build um, are from suppliers. And that's very complex because you have custom-made parts and you have to, you know, align with the suppliers on how they produce them, when they deliver them and so on. And we manage that complexity in the end with all these suppliers, with all the parts and uh, therefore help them in the end
1: to uh, yeah, ship and build great products. So, as you probably know, startups often start with somebody having an idea and then assembling a team. But Tacto actually did it the other way around and they have a really good reason for it. They first assembled a team and then went to find a problem that was suited for this team. The idea in the end is pretty much overrated because, you know, you you
0: pivot and iterate a lot when you talk to customers and you need a good fitting problem space that gives you the uh, opportunity to um, be really customer centric and pivot you know and uh, what what you can't iterate is in the end your team the people you work with because you have to go this way for like years with them and you have to be complementary and so on so for us it was way more important to be really aligned in the co-founder team because most startups fail because they in the end um uh, The the team uh, doesn't work out, and therefore we assembled like a team, or we we, we uh, I found my co-founders first and spent a lot of times actually aligning our common goals, common values, and so on. And um, then we were looking for um, a problem space. So in the end, um, what you described, um, where we can build a solution. So for us, it wasn't important like to have like a set idea or a set solution in place, but more like a, a good problem space that we can iterate on with our team. Um, that actually, yeah, um, gives us the opportunity to play uh, to, to um, yeah, leverage our strength that we have, like building software, data-driven
2: stuff, and so on. Building a team can go back quite some time. It all started with projects next to university.
0: Yeah, so um actually we met uh, during our studies at at CDTM. Um most of us uh Johannes was also my flatmate when I was in the uh, in the US and in Berkeley we studied together and um yeah we met way back like in, in 2017 I guess and um also had like a few projects together um we we did like a lot of stuff at UnternehmerTum uh, worked at different startups and so on and but found out for us that it's very very hard to um build a startup or uh, do something besides your studies besides your work because you don't have not uh, you don't have enough focus and uh, you don't have you don't really have the need to pivot, to work on it when it's hard, because you can always say, OK, now I want my master's thesis or something like that. So uh, then we said, like, OK, let's wait like one or two years until everybody um, finishes um, his studies or like Nico already worked. And then we came together and, and, and started with TACTO actually
1: beginning of 2020. Guys, as we know, knowing your customer is key for a successful business. And because TACTO had their customers already lined up and ready, they decided that they could actually build a product together with their potential clients and gather feedback every step of the way. Yeah, so um, in the end, it's it's a big hustle, to be honest. Like um, there, there are always
0: more contacts in your LinkedIn network um, than you imagine. Like I, I didn't know that I had so many people that worked in procurement or something like that before, but in the end, there's always someone um uh, or a friend of a friend um that knows someone and like i think the first stage is like your network in the end because um in in the very beginning you don't have a lot to offer you know you just like you 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 have you have no knowledge so you ask them how how does that work you know and um that's like the first stage where you just have to leverage your network and contacts And then later on, we we contacted, like, um, people cold, and that worked quite well, actually, because I think... Even before you
1: had any product or even an idea what you wanted to do? Yeah, yeah. How how Um, many people are we talking about here that you interviewed?
0: Oh, I think we interviewed, like, 300, 400 people in the end. Um, Yeah, so... Before you
1: officially started with anything? Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah.
0: So, like, I mean, before we started, like, in the end, like, the first stage was pretty much understanding the space, um... And uh, knowing what's going on, then understanding the processes, the problems, and so on. And then we switched to prototyping. So you know, now we, we made like the first Figma mock-ups and so on. And, and also um, uh, talked with our customers, clients, interview partners about them. Uh, that was like in the second stage. So that was already like after like two or three months. Um, but yeah, the first stage, or the very first stage was like desk research. And then we, we found out, you know, there are only so much uh, McKinsey reports that you can read. Uh, you have to talk to your customers. And uh, yeah, that was the second stage. And then the third stage was was prototyping in the end.
2: Yeah. Some say that the start of commercial activity is the actual start of the company. For TACTO, this was enabled by investments early on.
0: Um, we partnered up with um, a few um, customers, so four or five co-innovation partners, we called them. So uh, the deal was, you know, you get like, a, um, in the end, a cheaper uh, SaaS license, so a cheaper product, um, and you develop this thing with us. So you get like, in the end, like a product that is really fitting to your needs. Um, and then they uh, we partnered up with them and in the end talked um, to the chief procurement officer, um, every week, so one hour a week, and to the buyers in in, in his or her department, um, several times a week, um, to um, give uh, the, so that we have like constant feedback loops. Uh, like really, really tight uh, continuous feedback loops, which is super important um, in the beginning, and um, that was like end of last year. So then we started with development, um, developed the product with these co-innovation partners for four to five months. Um, and then uh, the product was running at um, at uh, these customers. So then we converted all of them to like long term contracts and um, added new customers. So that was like kind of an inflection point for us because then uh, we we saw that we we are over the first phase, you know, because we had like a product that is running at the customers that that provides value because um, they they loved it, so um, they all use it. They had like a clear business case and so on and um, that was like, let's say the, the end of the first phase. And then we added like more customers. And now it's more like, you know, you have like a product that works that is not finished or, or something like that, but it works. Um, and, um, you can push the product into the market and, um, now scale. Um, uh, and that's like the phase we're currently in where we, uh, we, we will stay like a tech and product focused company, of course, but, um, we can also launch commercial activities now. And I mean, it's, Easy and hard at the same time because you can't really influence your team a lot or something like that. But I think when you have like a committed team that really, um, there's like a, not a product market fit, but a, um, a team or a founder market fit, you know, that is important. So for us, it was, we all come from like an industrial background and so on. Um, we all come from a tech background. So we had a great fit to the market. The market was hot. And our team is like quite complimentary. Um, we know each other since years. And therefore like, you know, you ticked a lot of boxes um, mm. in, in, in that sense. And I think like, you know, CTM or like the Munich system is currently really hyped. So um, the pre round was kind of um, uh, easy for us. Also because like um, we, we talked to Michi Wachs uh, from, from Forto and, and Hanno from Personio. Um, the founders there beforehand, so we kind of had them uh, in our back. And um, they, uh, uh, of course, have like a very good reputation. And then um, they helped us uh, uh, there. And yeah, then the seed round, I think the early the, uh, the pre-seed round, the fundraising took like one or two weeks. So it um, okay. wasn't a lot of time. As, um, as further as you go, or, or as long as your startup exists, um, the focus shifts uh, more towards like, Let's say hard facts, you know, numbers mm-hmm. like uh, now like you have a real or you had like a real DD like on your go to market strategy, on your sales processes, on your um, ACVs, so your contract volumes, on um, your customer acquisition costs and so on, on your product. And that's like different from like a pre-seed round where it's just like a nice idea, you know. Um, so I would say it's harder um, as, as further as you go, to
1: be honest. or at least it takes longer. So guys, as we've heard, TACTO had a good product idea and their investments already done. And for most companies, this would now seem like the perfect time to be fast and scale up. However, as Andre explains, this stage in a company is very crucial and there can be very good reasons to take it slow and make sure that you have this timing of scaling up exactly right. I think you don't need a lot of money for
0: the first um, maturation. And I think contrary to what investors say, like um, money in like your very early stages also, it's a temptation um, to scale too early. Um, uh, And that's not good Um, because in the the very early phase, like you said, you just need like founder salaries or something like that. Um, And maybe a bit of play money to prototype. Um, And um, but until you have like a sense of what your customers need and what your customers are, you can't scale, and it's very tempt- uh, you are very tempted to uh, because when you have like we raised like um, yeah about a million euro, um, and uh, when you when you have like a million euro on your bank, you're always tempted to hire people or like spend money and so on. But it doesn't help you to to solve the first stage, you know. And therefore it's like, yeah, it's an interesting, interesting phase. But I think what is cool, um, when you raise like pre-seed funding round, um, when you are at that stage, you can immediately hire people, scale, um, and so on, and don't have to go into fundraising now. And and you did, there's
1: 10, 15 people listed on your website?
0: Yeah, we have like 18 now, I think. Mm -hmm. So we could just pull the trigger, you know, from March, like we were three people, and now we are 18 people, because we had the money and we could scale. And the other thing, what is is interesting, and you should take into consideration, is um, there are always like phases where you can where you can go into fundraising quite easy because you have the dynamic you know it's very important that you have some dynamics some inflection point and so on so you have a nice story for fundraising and um when you have like a pre-seed or like money on the bank you can choose the time when you go into fundraising you know when you close a few customers close a few hires when it's when it's going good because i mean startup life is always about faces there are always so faces where you know something doesn't work your customer churns or something like that and um when you for example do like exist or something like that, you have a very hard cutoff after twelve, fifteen months. And when it's when, when when you don't have when you have a phase then where I don't know, currently your main customer churns or something like that, and you need to go into fundraising, it's super, super tough. And yeah. therefore I think it's very good to have the opportunity to choose the time when you go into fundraising. And that's what also the, the pre seed allowed us to do. Um yeah,
1: this sounds like you should raise a really large pre-seed, but then don't spend it too quickly, so you have this time to wait for a good phase for the next round.
0: Yeah, so I'm like I, you know, uh, I hope my investors don't hear that, but um, I think uh, when you when you raise a bit more capital, you as a founder you have a better position because you know the investors always want you to spend capital because they are interested in the next round and so on. Um, but for you, it gives you a better position. Yes, I I think there's like you can't say like raise as much money as as uh, as you can that's also bullshit. i think um it's good to have like a buffer you know you know what you can spend and to have like a few a, a 20 30 percent more to just have a buffer that's good but it doesn't make sense to have like two large rounds because i mean then you dilute a lot and so on yeah
2: okay and um, now maybe after talking about tacto let's more dive deeper into your personal journey a lot of our listeners are also maybe in a situation where they have a few co-founders they would imagine starting something with, but they're still looking for a problem space or have one and then looking um, to dive deeper into it. You talked about your situation earlier when you spent those three to five months um, researching. Did you have any best practices, any methods that you used during that time to um, dive deeper into the topic? Yeah.
0: Yeah. So... um yeah, first to your customer, uh, to your co-founder, finding a co-founder. I think that's the most important thing, yeah, honestly. Like um, before we started officially with ideating, we took like half a year, like once a week in the evening. We just drank a beer or something like that and really aligned on on several topics. You know, I think it's very important that you have the same vision of a company. Should it should be VC backed or should it like, be bootstrapped. Um, um, what is our incentive in building a company? Is it money? Do we want to have like a good impact on the world or what is it? Um, do we have the same values? I think that's the most important thing um, and stuff like that. So I think that's the first step. And when you're aligned there um, in, in ideation, we tested several things. So we started with um, trend research. So we looked, you know, like the current uh, big trends like sustainability and so on Um then we did like industry research. That means like we looked at certain industries and looked what their problems are. And then um, technology research. So we looked at big tech trends, you know, and NLP or something like that and looked um, what what uh, what ideas um, come out of there. And what we found out pretty fast is from trends and tech, it's very hard to come into a problem space because these are the solutions in the end. And what really worked for us is um, so... You, we did like small research sprints, two hours to understand like uh, sub-industry. So we always like um, looked at or we looked at manufacturing predominantly and then really dig- drilled down um, in everything there. And um, then you have like a point, uh, like I said, where, where desk research isn't enough anymore. And then uh, you just have to talk to customers and have like a really open ear um, what what they are saying, what the process looks like, what the problems are and so on. And um, that's, that's what in the end what um, worked for us. So uh, we talked to a lot of customers and then you get an understanding of the market, of the problem space. And then you can look in the end if it's worth it to build a solution there. Um, and they're also like, uh, um, maybe investors help a little bit because they have like a macroeconomic view on everything. And then you pitch them in the end, your problem space and they say, that's yeah, interesting.
2: Industrial procurement, is something that most people never have to deal with. But in fact, this underlying system running in the background is actually what makes most of our industry happen nowadays.
0: Procurement is, it's, for me, like in this industrial procurement space, is really interesting from a problem and tech perspective, because um, there are so many, it's it's so complex, you know, like you have thousands of parts that are custom made that you have to order for each machine, for each uh, each physical thing that you build in the world. And it's super complex. And it has like a lot of potential because currently it's all like, even if they don't use Excel, they have like really outdated tools and you can do so much with data there to optimize um, uh, in the end, 50% of all the revenues of these companies, because that's what they spend on suppliers, you know, so 50% of the revenues you can optimize with data driven decision making. Um, 80% of all emissions in these companies come from suppliers. So in the end, when you when you um, you know run their procurement, you have a huge opportunity to um, bring like sustainability to these companies, and you can even open up um, your your platform to be more two sided. So you have a you have a marketplace in the end with like a GMV, so like a volume that is insane. It's like six trillion in in uh, in in the world, you know. So I think. you you have like a really interesting opportunity there to to have like a great impact on these companies. And that's like from a product perspective. And what motivates me from a company perspective is I I really believe that um, the the way to German and European innovation is you have to leverage our strength. And that's not uh, building a new social app or something like that, but that's like working with the industry that we have here in Germany. Um, So with these machine engineering companies, with the automotive companies, with chemical companies and so on, um, to bring them to the next level. So to partner up, digitize their operations or like build great products uh, together with them. And that's what what really motivates me, because um, what we do is in the end, we bridge this traditional industry with like tech and and create a new, um, hopefully, market leader there, um, Tacto. And um, I really like that, to be honest, because um, especially like in the Mittelstand, the people that you work with, they are really respectful. They, they, you know, you're on a a common ground there. They know what what, um, they get from us, like tech software expertise, and we know what we get from them. Like they build insanely precise and qualitative machines, products and so on. Um, and therefore, I think that that's really cool for me um, to know. Um, yeah, you, you really solve a problem for them. You help them, and that really motivates me. Um, in the end, and so it's a mix from like interesting uh, an interesting product space, and um, yeah, doing doing something
2: uh, great on the, on the <laughs> let's say on the uh, credit economy. While working on Tacto to become the next market leader. Andre also puts impressive amounts of care into an aspect that's important to him the company culture
0: yeah so what 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 is really interesting or motivates me um is in the end like building a cool atmosphere for for uh for our team here um in the end so i found out for me that what really motivates me is to not only hire, but like build an environment that everybody um, enjoys and strives in. And uh, for me, what gives me great pleasure is to be honest, not when we raise like a new fundraising round or something like that. I'm also not the guy that, that, um, likes to be on every podium and, and pitch, uh, contest and so on. But what, what really gives me motivation and like uh, happiness in the end is when I see like our team is, is growing is uh, not growing in terms of quantity and, and team member size, but you know, every individual is growing in the end. So, um, and that's, that's what really keeps me going because I see like, I don't know, like I'm always amazed when you have someone there and he or she, um, does something and I'm like, just wow uh that's that's so cool and that really motivates me in my day to day to be honest and um yeah what is what is what is something that i don't like i think there are a lot of things uh i don't know I, you know so ever go
1: dream work as a founder
0: <laughs> no it's a lot of crunch work uh, i don't know like every you know i always like we have like a few working students and interns in the in the business team and um I always ask them what do you like to do and what what uh don't you like in the end. Um and I, I always have to do uh, the stuff that they don't like to do. Um and it's always accounting, you know. Like <laughs> there wasn't like one uh, business uh interim working student that uh, liked to do accounting. So um that's always something I have to do. Um that's yeah, what is also uh, due this week. And um yeah, other stuff I think you know yeah, I think especially in the early stage, you're just there for everything. And I think you have to like that uh, you don't have like, or maybe at least we didn't do that, uh, like to, you know, dump your, uh, the stupid work on, on interns or something like that. I think that's also bad because you, you should do everything um, and you're responsible for everything. And um, I think you have to like that, that it's just like a lot of crunch work and not everything is like, yeah, beautiful. Um That's the reality, I guess.
2: So far, your whole journey sounds like it went pretty smooth, but obviously there has also been quite some hard times. What is the situation that you think was the toughest one so far?
0: Yeah, I think the toughest one was um, after the the pre-seed round, um, you know, you had a lot of, uh, for sure, So a lot of, uh, how do you, like, yeah, we, we had some money, uh, we had a great team, uh, and so on. And everybody expects, like, uh, you to just like scale now, you know. And, um, we were really focused on, okay, no, we have to nail like our market, have to nail our product. And, um, then I think when you come from like an academic first time founder background, it's really hard, um, to just weather through every problem, you know, because most of us are like, you know, there's a clear, especially when you come from a tech, more technical background, there's a clear solution to a problem. Like, you know, and, and then what, from what
1: kind of problem are we talking it about? It doesn't here? matter.
0: Like, you know, like when there's math, a math problem or something like that, there's a solution and there's a way to get there. Uh, so when you do research, you know, it's, it's a lot of it is focused on having like a great methodology and process. In the startup and problem, it doesn't, doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter if you found, like, a great problem space because you listen to your colleague or uh, you see it on the street or you did, like, a great research uh, to get there. You know, it really doesn't matter. Um, when you But when you come from this academic uh, background, you really focus on, okay, we have to get this right, um, you know. And I think there is no right or wrong. Um, in the end, you just have to start. And that was, like, the hardest time there um, because um, we spent, like, a month on... Trying to nail um, uh, the, the product in the end. Um, and that was really hard because you always like, you know, you, you do like a prototype or like really into it and then you pitch it to a customer and he's, he or she's like, ah, oh, no way, uh, it doesn't work. And you do that tens of times. And at some point, and then you have like, you know, our whole office was full of post-its with like different ideas and stuff like that. And um, that's really hard because when you when you build a B2B company, but you don't come from the domain, you don't really have intuition what works, you know. You don't really know, okay, this makes a lot of sense because you don't come from the industry, you know. And um, therefore, like for me, you have two options there. Either you are like from the industry or you work as closely uh, together with customers as possible. And that was like the turning moment for us, how we got uh, through this uh, valley uh, in the end to just partner up with, with these companies because then you had like the continuous feedback loop and it was just like a normal process, you know, you, you build like a prototype, then one week is what good, uh, one week is, was bad, but you just had like a continuous learning cycle there and it wasn't a problem anymore. Um, but this valley where, you know, you didn't know exactly for whom you're building something, because you don't have like a clear ideal customer profile, which is super important. And you don't know exactly what you're building because there are so many features, ideas, starting points and so on in your head. So, in the end, when you when you talk about product fit, both your product and your market are not defined. So you're just like you're really squishy there, and that's like a really 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 hard phase. And um, yeah, it, it's super important to define like a clear ideal customer profile. Um, and I think that's even more important than the exact product in the in the beginning, because when you have like a clear ideal customer profile with like homogeneous requirements or like problems. And you can build a product there, you know. And, um, yeah, that was the, the turning point for us. Um,
1: yeah. So if I blatantly say you want to be the eBay or Amazon marketplace of the manufacturing industry, is, is that right or is that a faulty yeah. picture? Um
0: yeah, it's. I think it's not uh, too far away. Like in the really long term, I think um, we we have like a different go-to-market and so on. But um, when really when we go the two-sided marketplace way, um, I think it it makes a lot of sense. So you connect uh, from a, like an abstract level, you connect like the buyer, like the industrial companies, with the suppliers, and um, make it really frictionless for them to interact with each other. And I think that's also what what Amazon is doing in the in the B two C space. So, um, yeah, it's of course, of course like a very big aspiration,
2: but I think uh, that, that works quite well, here.
1: Yeah. I think you're in a good position. I think it Hopefully. will work out.
2: <laughs> and thanks, Anne, very much for your time. It was super interesting to hear your story. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. Our chat with TACTO founder Andre showed us some quite interesting ways to run a startup. What helped their mission was to first assemble a team and then start working on the product. By being in close contact with the customers, the team was able to shape their solution for their special needs. And lastly, one shouldn't be too focused to nail a product perfectly at first, but to get feedback, iterate and grow together. Thanks for listening to this Venture Mike podcast from Start Munich, brought to you by Alston Capital. At Venture Mike, we talk about the startup world with amazing people making a dent in the universe. See you soon again.